So it sounds like one of the things that a leader can commit to doing is like, we're just going to operate in truth starting today, regardless of how hard that it is. That's it. Yeah, that's, that is the hardest part of being a leader. It's the cost of leadership. You have to talk about the things that make you uncomfortable. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. You know, if someone were to ask me, what are the things you do on an ongoing basis that contribute the most to Path for Growth's health and growth as a business, a couple things instantly come to mind. Uh, Number one would be a morning routine. Number two would be consistent rhythms of prayer and scripture reading. Uh, Number three would certainly be the communication rhythms that we've installed in our business. Uh, I would also definitely highlight the way that we've worked really hard to integrate healthy, systematic accountability into every level of our business. Certainly, I would point to the way we try to structure our organization around staying close in a personal way to the customers that we serve. But here's a rhythm that may surprise you. One of the other rhythms that I think have had the greatest impact on Path for Growth's growth and health as an organization would be the fact that every other week I meet with a counselor. And that's who we're going to talk to today is my counselor, Will Mooney. Now, Will is someone that I've been meeting with on a weekly or biweekly basis now for over two years. And as you can imagine, that's just so incredibly valuable to me because the context he has is he knew me whenever I worked full-time in a different job. He helped me walk through the decision to leave and start this business. He's absolutely been crucial in me defining where I'm living long term and through many of the decisions that I've had to wrestle with and wrestle through in the building and growth of this business. And I think that really at its core, me meeting with Will on an ongoing basis represents a principle that I just deeply believe. If you want to put your business in order, you got to start by putting yourself in order. And the thing that I think we all know is that there's not this day where it's like one day you're in order and then you stay in order for the rest of your life. It's like, no, you got to maintain and sustain your own personal health and growth so that you are the type of leader that can maintain and sustain health and growth in your business. And so this conversation is so powerful and substantial because we get into what I believe are many of the hidden and subversive topics that can either propel leaders forward or hold them back. But before we got into any of that, I just want you to hear a little bit of why Will Mooney loves what he does. What I love about the work I get to do with my clients, it feels like I get invited into something very sacred. So what what clients share with me are things that they probably maybe not even shared with their spouses, you know, and so it feels like I'm invited into something very special. And that just feels honoring. I feel honored that people trust me. And then the next part of it is like, they're willing to trust me, but also they're hungry for change. And so there's a sense in which every session I have, there is a sense of momentum, desire to want to move, to grow, to see shifts happen. And so that, that just gets me excited. Like, I think there's just, there's a reward in that. The cost of this, though, is that the highs are really high and the lows are really low, right? So because there's a lot of risk involved in those moments and desire, there's there's some hard days, you know, and there's but there are also some really beautiful days and moments, and so that's just that's just exciting, man. (laughs) I I love that, and and it's so neat. Like I heard you say on another podcast like you love what you do, but it was almost like for me, because I've gotten to experience it. Like I, I already knew that because I was like, I get, I get to see him do it. And it's just so clear that you love it because you bring so much energy and intentionality to it. And so I, I guess what I'd like to know before we jump into kind of some of the, the core topics that we're going to go through today is just really broadly, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned in terms of growing as a counselor, growing as a therapist, being the type of person that can help people in those challenging situations? What are some of the big things that you've learned, Will? I think a simple way to say it would be um, my own growth, my own health, 
is very connected to the work that I do, right? I literally can't function and be present with somebody if I'm not taking care of my own heart, my own mind, my own body. And I can feel it when I'm not. And I'm like, oh man, this is, I notice it. So um, I've learned that I have to keep working on myself. I can't take clients anywhere I haven't gone myself. And so I'm in a position that keeps me growing, which is great and really hard. Well, can we pause right there for a second? Yeah. I used to always look at like web developers and just be so fascinated by someone that signed up to be a web developer because that world changes so rapidly that it's like you can't not always be learning about web development. It's like there's always oh, yeah. a new type of code to be learning. There's always a new way to be doing things. If, if you're just on, like if you've just mastered where you're at right now, you need to start learning about machine learning and AI. And I used to always think I would never want to do that. That would be crazy. And then I realized I signed up to own a small business and it's like, oh my gosh, I signed up for the exact same thing. And, <laughs> and it sounds very similar to what you're saying, Will, where it's like, I can't, I can't not grow and I can't not learn. And the minute that, that you personally plateau, so do all of your clients. And, and I, it seems to me as almost like that is a, a principle that transcends industry. Like it, it transcends counseling even. It's like that just applies to leadership in general that the day you stop growing is the day the people you influence stop growing as well. Do you feel like that's fair to say? Yeah, I think that's very fair. I mean, hearing you give it back to me, like, I'm almost like, oh, that's scary. Like, I can feel, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's right. But and it's really true. I mean, I, th- there's some help that can be offered and there's some support that's there if I'm just listening and present. Like, that, that's not a thing, you know, and that can happen. But if I'm not aware of how I'm showing up with somebody, then I, I could be re-traumatizing somebody. I could be re-hurting. Mm-hmm. I could be missing something and enabling them to stay with things that they need to change, you know? So I just have to be so aware of this part of my side of the street that, you know, it's, it is real. And it does, I think it it transcends everything because unless you just bring your brain on a stick to your work, like, you know, you are a person that you're going to affect the people you relate with, you know? That's right. And, and the line we always say is if you want to put your business in order, start by putting yourself in order And I can speak from my own personal experience, but I can also speak from what I've observed in some of the leaders that we get to work with. Our natural impulse is, let me put this business in order. And then once I get that thing healthy and centered and stable and strong, then I'll be able to have the time and the margin to make sure I'm in order. I guess just from your experience in working with people, um, and I mean, I guess it could be working with me, right? And working yourself as a business owner, like, why do you think it is that our natural impulse is to focus on like that external entity and prioritize that before putting ourselves in order? Do you have theories on that? I'll, I can just speak for my own self. It's uncomfortable to sit with myself. I mean, literally, I, so I have my own therapist. I'm still in therapy. I met with her this morning and I was telling, cause right now I'm in the process of rebranding and, and growing in my practice. And I was telling her how much I've been working lately and then I made a decision this weekend to really slow down. And she was like, what, how did you do? What'd you do to make that, that shift? And I was like, I had to sit with the uncomfortableness of a lot of things being incomplete. And that's uncomfortable to say no to myself because there's a, there's an immediate reward that I get from, if I get this email out this week, then these people will respond and I'll get the attaboy, you know, that feels great, you know, but if I sit with my limitedness, you know, I, I don't get that same thing. You know, I have to deal with my, the fact that I'm a human and that's not fun. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a temptation that I feel to be more than that, or I believe that I'll be loved more or accepted or appraised if I, if I do more. And so it's hard, you know? And I think that connects to one of the topics I wanted to talk. I feel like it's the the list of things that I wanted to talk to you about is like a greatest hits of like probably what you work on with people all the time. And and honestly, one of the things that we see showing up is like either holding entrepreneurs back or getting in their way of keeping them from moving themselves and therefore their business forward. And the first one is, I think, related to what you just said. It's the topic of presence. I think it's something that by and large, 
uh, most of the people that we get to work with say, yes, I want to be a present person. I want to be a present leader. And at the same time that they say they want that, they find themselves, and I can speak for myself personally here, they can find themselves not experiencing that. And so can, can you, I guess, first of all, let's define our terms. I'd love for us to talk about like what it, when we say the word presence, what, what is that? And then why do you think it matters, especially in this context of leadership? I have this image that I hold and I think about, it comes from one of the trainings I was doing with trauma and they talked about showing up with your 50. And that means I have in a relationship, I have 50% of the relationship and I show up at the 50 yard line and the other person shows up at their 50 and we meet in the middle. And I think about presence for me is like, what's happening in my 50? What's going on inside of me? That could be, what am I feeling? Right? What am I afraid of? What do I, what am I like, what do I not want to feel? Right? What do I would not, and so I'll avoid that in them if I'm avoiding it in me. What are my thoughts? All those things, not just focus and thoughts, but what's happening. And also in my body, like I can notice if I'm sitting in a funny way, like, um, cause I'm, you know, ate a heavy lunch, you know, it's like, I need to sh- like, how am I showing up in my side of the street? Uh, and what's that about? Right. So there's just an awareness of that as part of presence. That's what I was going to ask. So, so are they interchangeable? Like is awareness and presence, do you think of them as the same thing? Well, no, there's a little bit more to it. So there's an okay. awareness of where I'm at, but it's what I do with it. After oh, that. interesting. Can you explain that some? So yeah, yesterday I was meeting with a couple. They had seen a lot of other therapists before. They've been married for 30 years and they were talking about divorce. And so I felt they actually, they actually seen a therapist that I had seen before. So I had all this kind of like, you know, they come to me, what's going to, you know, this fear. And I was literally yesterday morning praying about that session with them. I was like showing up in my 50, being aware of my anxiety about meeting with them, this, this pressuring that I would put on myself to be more than I think I'm supposed to be for them. And so that was part of the work is thinking about what's going on inside of me before I sit down with them. And then, so already I'm doing something with what I feel I'm being aware of it, but I'm also, so when I sat down with them, I could notice myself if I'm aware of what's happening, my fear of not being enough for them, my fear of this, this needs to be a helpful session for them. They're, they're on the ropes here. And so what I have to do is be careful is like knowing about me is when I get anxious and feel like that, I'll start performing. I'll start leaving my 50 and trying to manage their 50. So I'll start saying things to kind of make them think I'm a good therapist. I'll like emphasize like, oh yeah, that's something what we talked about last session, right? Like, which is all about me and how I want to feel good about me, right? So what I'm saying and what I'm doing out of what I feel can affect the way I show up with them rather than making space. And what was crazy is I, I wanted them to shift and change. They would not talk to each other. They didn't want to talk. They had told me that from the beginning. And I, I felt like, Oh, this is so good. Things are, sh-. there was some shifting happening. I was like, I want them to talk so bad. Well, you all just turn to each other. And I was like, but hold off, stay on your side of the street. Will. <laughs> I want to do it. But I was like, I want them to think I'm good. So I'm just noticing all that. So I kept holding back and holding back right? Because I was trying to do more for them. That was all about me. Um, okay. So, so just to make sure I'm understanding this correctly, awareness is the process of noticing, okay, I feel anxious right now. Presence yeah. is saying, I, uh, I'm going to choose not to perform as a result of feeling anxious. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm anxious, but I'm going to stay on my side of the line. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Letting them have their own process them have their own boundaries, their own journey, and their own feelings rather than me trying to manage those and make them okay so that on my side of things, I feel okay. Okay. I mean, the whole idea of making someone else okay, I think is one that probably comes up for a lot of people a lot, right? Yes. Um, so why, why uh, I'm trying to think of the proper question here. Uh, why is that a temptation? And then also, why is that wrong? Like, why, why should we not be playing the role of I'm going to make you okay? Yeah, because we're not that powerful. I can say all the right words and it not, I don't know what you need. I'm not God. And so to think I do is presumptuous of me, right? 
Uh, I can be curious about it, ask how you're experiencing it, what you're needing around it and offer what I can. But what makes it wrong is I'm in, and, and here, honestly, as talk about the first question about growing as a therapist, I would think I was doing great things by helping people. Like if that couple was met me maybe three years ago, I would be like, oh, this is the time we're going to turn. You're going to turn and talk, right? But I would have been taking away from them their agency. They're, they would be dependent on me because I'm the one that helps them know what to do. And they're going to be always needing to come back to therapy because I'm the one that tells them what they need and what's best for them. So that's creating a really parent-child relationship, a dependent relationship that's not honoring them and their, who they are as an adult and who they are as an agent of their own change and their own journey. And so I want to empower them rather than enable them and or make them dependent on me. And so I'm serving them by giving them that space and not trying to do more. I also feel it's it's actually ultimately in your best interest. Like I've, I've thought about this before. Like if someone in your line of work, if you need the people across from you to be okay in order for you to be okay, like you're screwed. Like, sorry, buddy. <laughs> but, but I also think it's like, okay, because your environment that you work in is so high stakes, we can see that so clearly. But mm-hmm. it's like that reality of, of if you need other people to be okay for you to be okay, then this is not going to go well for you. That actually applies to everyone. It's just less visible because the stakes probably aren't always as high as what you deal with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the stakes are always high. Even if I'm thinking that way outside of, I mean, I'm still in relationship with people all the time. If I'm doing that with my friendships, even though they're not talking about the life of their marriage and the on the ropes. Like if I'm doing that in the guy's lives or friends' lives that I'm in, I'm still not honoring them. Right. And that's, there's friendship at line and there's more to it. I think, I think that that might be at the crux of why oftentimes business owners find themselves avoidant of conflict is uh, in some ways we can sugarcoat it as, oh, I'm just so, I'm a people pleaser. And in reality, the person that, if I'm avoiding conflict, the person that I'm most pleasing is myself. Because- wow, that's so I, well said, Alex. Yeah. I, well, it's kind of convicting in some ways because it's like, if I step into this and say what's true here, then I know I'm going to ruffle your feathers and now it's not going to be okay with me because the fact that you're not okay means I'm also not okay. I mean, would you say that's like, uh, I assume you coincide with people that uh, have a propensity to avoid conflict. I think people in general do that. Is that one of the driving reasons why? Yeah, that's exactly right. If I show up with whatever I'm feeling or with whatever creates conflict, you're, something's going to happen in you that's really something I don't want to feel in me. So like, it's like you're going to start feeling hurt, angry, uh, insecure, you're going to feel small, you know? And so I'm going to go, Oh, I don't want you to feel that way. So I'm not going to really tell you about your job performance, you know, because what that's about is I don't want to feel shame, you know, or feel like I caused that, but you're not telling the truth, which is not really honoring them. Um, and you really can't make somebody shame themselves, right? They're going to do that to themselves. It's all inward. So yeah, that's, that's well said. So, and we might've already kind of gotten into this, um, are there specific blockers that you think get in the way of people being present or that you've experienced for yourself? Like these are the things that I have to fight, wrestle, drive into the ground because they often get in the way of me practicing presence around other people. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best word, I mean, it's a pretty popular word, but shame, you know, Mm -hmm. shame is the thing. That's interesting, though, because I feel like most people, like most podcasts today, if you're talking about being present, like it's kind of a pop culture thing to talk about being present. And I feel like everyone goes to like the tactical, like put away your phone, like uh, close close tabs on your computer and stuff like that. Uh, very few people, their first response is shame is <laughs> what gets in the way. So, uh, I mean, I, I appreciate it because I think it's right. But I think what you're getting at here is it's like, dude, you are literally putting band-aids on, on a much deeper wound if that's how you're trying to solve your presence problem. Uh, so, right, right on, right? Yeah, those, are, those can help towards being present. In some ways, you could be using those to, to avoid conflict. And, and I think to define shame, you know, shame is the feeling that you have about yourself. And it can be a healthy shame or it could be a toxic one. Healthy shame is, is what we're talking about, which is like, I need to be honoring other people's sense of responsibility for themselves. Like I can't control that. Like that's a healthy sense of naming my limitedness. 
it's toxic shame that gets in the way of being present because we start telling ourselves we should be more. I think sh- if we're shooting on ourselves, we're in shame. And that's what keeps us from really being truthful with people or real because we should, we should be more, I should have done this or I should have said this, or I shouldn't let you feel that. Cause I feel like I'm responsible for what you feel, you know? But even that is a little bit of a culturally, maybe controversial, like right. culturally it's uh, very popular to say all shame is negative period. Correct. You're right. You're right. Yeah. The way Brene Brown writes about shame is she's just using it as toxic shame. You know, I don't, I don't know of anywhere where maybe she does where she references is healthy, but I, I think we tend to only use it like that. I, I think there's some benefit to using, to having it being, there's health in it too, you know? And, and that's because just to make sure I'm understanding right, it, it's because shame is it, feelings about uh, inadequacies in yourself maybe. And, and healthy shame is like, okay, there are areas where I'm limited, I'm finite, I'm inadequate, and that's called being human. And yes, it's healthy yes. to realize that you're human. Is that what you're saying? You nailed it. That's, a, that's better than I could have said it. It's, it's the, I'm limited, and that's, that's what's true and right about me. And that's okay, you know, that I can't, all the things I want to do, I can't do. That's, that's human about me. And that's good. That's what makes me human. And where it becomes toxic is if, oh, I'm limited and I should. And I, I love Chip says it this way. He's like, shame is uh, the acronym S-H-A-M-E, should have already mastered everything. Dang. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just a little bit relatable. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, I think, and I think that is a lot of times, it, it's something that holds back entrepreneurs even going beyond this topic of presence, just because it's like, okay, I, I love that line of thinking of if you ever want to be a master, you first have to be willing to look like a fool. But Gosh. if you believe that you should look like you've already mastered everything, then you like, you can't, you can't afford to look like a fool. And so therefore, I mean, in some ways our shame and pride intertwine. And then it's like, I have to look like I have it all figured out because I can't deal with the reality that I don't. Is that fair to say? That's exactly right. So how does that connect to presence then, Will? Yes. So if I'm afraid I can't look like I don't have it all together, I'm going to try to control every room I'm in to make sure I don't feel that, Mm. which means I'm not really being present with them. I'm just trying to manipulate the scene so I don't feel toxic shame. Dang. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the areas that I feel like I've had to really grow in is I, I think a previous version of Alex really struggled with awkward silence in a room. And on my, uh, on my not so great days, I still do, right? Where there's awkward silence. And the reason why is because I thought awkward equals bad. And I need to make sure everyone in this room is feeling flow in conversation and flow in this meeting. And everyone feels like they're contributing and everything like that. And if there's ever dead time, it's like, oh gosh, people, it's like, I may not even feel bad about it, but people do feel bad about it. And therefore this is not okay. And dude, like I would get to the end of meetings and be, just be, I mean, stressed out, like so stressed out. Um, But it sounds, it seems like that is connected to what we're talking about here. You know, that's right on. Yeah. And so how do you grow, how do you grow in that? Because you're someone that really, I mean, uh, awkward silence is kind of in your playbook a little bit, right? Like you, uh, and you've sat across from me and just like uh, in sessions that we've had and just allowed like silence to be there. And I just get the feeling of, man, you're really comfortable with that now. Is that a natural thing for you? Or how did you get to that? Like, how can people grow in this? Yeah, that's a really great question. Find other people that give you that space because that can help you learn to do that. That's probably how I've grown the most. There's been people in my life who I meet with regularly who I know I have to tell the truth about my life with. And when I meet with them, they ask me questions and they're not trying to rescue me or make me feel better or give me intense feedback on what advice giving. They're just like, hey, what's it like to be with that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to practice with that. you know. So people that will do that with me and that I asked to do that with me has helped. It takes a lot of courage to ask for people to do that with you, I think. Yes, it, it definitely does. Because that was going to be my next question, Will, is I feel like there's a lot of people that say, oh, man, I'm all in for that. I would love to find some of those people. How do I find those people? Yeah. Hopefully you have some of those in your life already. These are people that support you and believe in you and are willing to work on that. Um, I mean, 
in my experience, those people have been other counselors or I've done a lot of spiritual direction, which has helped me a lot, which that's like somebody that's asked me questions and invites me to be still in prayer with God about those questions. I mean, another piece of the puzzle is faith in this. You know, I think you can pretend to be okay with silence, but you can read it when somebody's not. Mm-hmm. You know, they can, you can just tell in their body or their presence that they're uncomfortable, right? And so part of, for me, being okay with that is takes a lot of prep time of prayer in the morning, every day. I pray often throughout ma- meetings and sessions hmm. when I start feeling myself getting anxious, literally some form of prayer of like, I'm not the Christ. It's not about me. <laughs> Jesus is the Christ helps me imagining that God is there with them. He's caring for them. He's leading them. And it's not my job, you know, just de-rolling myself out of that and bringing him into the room. I've had several sessions that I've found myself getting really hooked into uncomfortableness and I'll literally picture an empty chair in my room and Jesus in that room, caring for those people leading the session. And I can just, okay, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not the Christ, you know? So I think that those, that visualization, that faith helps me stay grounded in those moments a lot. Is, uh, is the proper word for that recentering? That's such a great question. I've been thinking about this a lot. I actually think the right word is decentering. <laughs> Dad, Dad, come in, mind blown. Like, what? Uh, <laughs> that's so funny that you've been thinking about that. That definitely wasn't planned. I literally am like, there's so much peace in decentering myself. Because that's what anxiety is all about. Mm. I believe it's all up to me and it's all on me, which I better be anxious if I think that. If I'm at the center of everything, of course I'm going to feel anxious, right? The center of my business succeeding, the center of my family being okay, the center of everything, you know? I sh- the anxiety is meant to tell me you're not the center, you know? Dang, that's got legs. You should trademark that word before we release this podcast. Because yeah. I mean, that, that's such a powerful idea because literally the, the practice that you engaged in there, as you said, Jesus is in the room. He's in the chair. He's actually in control. And the thing that actually brought you peace and freedom and sanity was the realization like, okay, it's not all on me. So it's all good. Yeah. De- decentering is the proper word. Yeah. And it's really hard to do, you know, because especially when you're sitting across in a leadership role, where they're asking you to be the center. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, right? and I feel like our cultural perception of leaders is you are the center and I need you to be the center sometimes. And yeah. it seems like the best leaders are like, uh, no, I'm, I'm not the center. Like th- that's going to be a really, oh man, this is so helpful and so interesting. I feel like uh, that is people's perception of leader is I want you to be the center. And I feel like a lot of times leaders take on that role because at first it feels good. Yes, I will play, I will play the character of centerpiece to this business as the person that makes all this run. And that works all the way up into the point where it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's really bad. And, exactly. and so, so what is, what, I mean, uh, are there any other practical tips or even just thoughts or principles you have around the, the uh, process of decentering, especially if, someone is listening to this conversation, they're like, oh my gosh, I am. I have made myself into center for this business. Like I'm the person that everyone comes to with their questions. I'm the person that people are expecting to be Superman or or Wonder Woman. And I have allowed myself to become that person for people. What does someone do in that situation? That's a great question. If you're there, you've probably set up a system that supports that. So it's going to be real hard to get out of it, right? that everything's already kind of built up around you. So it's, it's dangerous. And so it's really hard to, and you're probably going to get, it's going to be really uncomfortable as you decenter, even, even if you don't leave your role, like you, you're just emotionally doing it because people, you've already set up relationships in a way that they're expecting you to do that. So there's going to be pushback, right. And shifting out of that. And so just expect that. And then, when it comes, you're, and, and I think there's a, something to what is healthy leadership? What is, yes, I'm, I'm not the center. And I can't, I don't hold all these balls in the air, right? Like 
what am I doing if I am in leadership role, right? And I'm empowering other people, right, to step into what they know and they need and what they've agreed to be a part of in this in this mission, right? So where's their limits? And like, be really clear about job descriptions, really clear about roles, and really clear about limits. And so if I have my limits and I honor them and I communicate them, right, that, that I'm inviting others to do the same, right? Just, hey, I, so I'd work and I have to, one of the ways I do this is I try not to respond to even people that work with me within hours. I don't see clients. So this is really one I have to work on, you know, so it's like try to keep it in eight to five, right? It's like, so they're not expecting me to reply on a Sunday morning, you know, you know, so like, so I'm trying to hold those boundaries, which is inviting others to do the same, you know, and just clearly communicating those. I think that that's really helpful, especially from an expectation setting uh, mm-hmm. line of things. And I think there's probably something to like, you don't just have to set those expectations for yourself of like, we've gone down this road for a while now. And so going a different way is gonna be hard. I mean, it could probably even start with a, an apology of a leader saying like, hey, I'm sorry, I have allowed us to go down this road for a while now. And, and that's on me, but we're going to be going a different way. And anytime you go a different way, it's going to be hard. Like, I, I think maybe even part of the process is letting other people in on the process of getting oh, back to yeah. what it should be. Yeah, I've had to do that in session with people. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll realize... Let's go back to the session I had yesterday. Let's say I did, I had jumped in and tried to get those, that couple to talk to each other. I'll often realize, oh, I was over-functioning. I was centering myself in this moment and I've tried to make something happen and it got, it's gone wrong. And I'm like all the way down the road and I'm like, great, we've got 10 minutes left. And now y'all, this is just not going well. I'll, I do, I'll have to say, hey guys, can we go back to that moment when I said this? I think I was, I, something was going on with me. I missed you guys in this. Can we go back to that moment? What was happening there for you, right? So like just kind of, it's, it is an apology. It is, it is about the repair, right? And, and bringing them into the process, which really puts you side by side with them, right? Versus over them, you know, which is, there's a lot of leadership in coming alongside. Not as like, hey, we're at the same, but like, I do provide vision, but I do it from a posture of I'm in this with you, you know? That's right. I think maybe a a corollary is it's something that I've had to grow in is sometimes I'll be a part of a meeting or it will even be a meeting that I'm leading and things will feel weird. And I can maybe even tell that things feel weird. And years ago, I would have never said anything. Now I, I feel more confident in saying, this feels weird to me. Does anyone else feel weird right now? And what do we need to do to move this in the right direction? Mm. And uh, it's kind of like just commenting, but uh, you know, to, to bring this back to the topic of presence, it, it seems like one of the other blockers, like uh, shame, the idea that we need to have it all figured out is probably at the core of it all. But also with that is like, for me, I think sometimes it can be a pace thing. Like I'm moving way too fast to even be aware of what's going on. Um, do, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like pace can keep you from being pe- present? Yes. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's a good thing. It's sometimes it's not about me. You know, it's like, I'm so excited. You okay. know, about and that's not necessarily bad, huh? No, I mean, like, there's passion, you know, can get in a way of where I'm so focused on what's in, what I love that I'm missing other people in that, or I'm not making space for other people. I'm over, overstepping myself. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, it can, it can be good. You alluded a little bit to like uh, your morning routine. Um, can, can you speak to like, because you're going into this every, every day. I, I have a lot of admiration for it, but I mean, then again, it's like, we all are going into this every day. It's just right. yours just happens to be sitting down in a chair across from people one-on-one, but we all have the same need to be present with ourselves and present with other people. But how do you set yourself up in the morning to be successful throughout the day? Cause I would assume the morning holds disproportionate value for you in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does having space. And I, I, I think for me, I, I don't want to take in a lot of content in the morning. So I'm like trying to be aware of how much I'm taking in 
because that just kind of clouds my connection to what's happening for me. So even, even reading, like I don't read a lot, like I'm not doing a, like a, like I've done devotionals before, but it really, those almost like distract me. So like, I really try to take, I mean, 15 minutes is the minimum. I would love more, but sometimes I just, if I go to the 5am workout class and then like, if I'm really trying to do it all, like I really only have 15 minutes, but like that morning, if I get those 15 minutes, what I want to do is just be still and noticing what's happening inside of me. And I, and I just invite God into that. And I'm like, Hey, this is what I'm, I'm just, it's like almost like I imagine me, I have a few spaces that I go into my mind, imaginary spaces. My favorite one is me by a fireside. Something about fires just calm my heart. And so I picture me by a fire and I have this memory of laying in my dad's lap when I was a little boy watching baseball. Hmm. And so I have this sense I can feel it of what it's like to lay in the lap of a man who I can trust. And so I will, I'll picture myself lying by a fire, laying in God's lap, and I'll just start telling him about how I'm feeling about the day, what's happening inside of me, and just be open to any listening. And so I'll, I may read passage, but it won't be more than like three verses or something. And I'm like, what do you want to tell me from this? You know, what's what's the truth here um, that I need to hear? You know, and truthfully, decentering has been the story for the last several months. Hmm. Uh, and it's like, okay, God, got it. <laughs> I need to stop, slow down. Would you describe that as prayer? Is that is that prayer to you? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's for me. It's listening prayer. Okay, and so are your eyes closed when you're doing this? Is a very practical questions, but are your eyes closed when you're doing that? Um, yeah, sometimes, mostly. I do it sometimes while I'm driving too. Like I'm, I mean, just bringing him into the room. I'll do it in mm. session. So I'm like, hopefully yeah, your eyes are open when you're doing that. <laughs> so you're the person I've seen swerving all over the highway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and truthfully, sometimes I can be so disorganized in the morning with so many thoughts like that. I'm like, I can't even focus. Right. And when I get to that place, which does happen pretty, I mean, more often than I want, um, I'll put on my headphones and I will listen to music. And music for me just turns me into a posture of rest. Um, it's a one of, I'm not trying to perform. I'm just able to be, and I can just, whatever it is, is like just singing, sitting with truth. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really grounding for me. So those, those are some of the things that really helped. I, I'm in a group that I meet with every week, every Tuesday morning, like today. Uh, we meet for 30 minutes and we have a facilitator and he just leads us through a 10 minute guided prayer meditation. And then we going to listen. We did Isaiah nine this morning. It was great. And then we share what that's like. And so, I mean, that there is, there's, it's, it's not always just me by myself, right? There's other people in that. So. Yeah. I can relate a lot to, you know, the, the some mornings where it's like you have so much on your mind and, and uh, but definitely for me, the practice of not looking at my phone till that stuff, till the routine is done has been really, really helpful. But even then, sometimes there, uh, there can be times where it's like, I just get work stuff in my mind. And it's like, there's just a podcast that I can't stop thinking about, or there's, there's ideas or conversations that I need to have or something that I'm worried about. And one of the things that, that I've found is, it's like the routine can almost become counterproductive if you're spending most of your time beating yourself up for not following the routine. And it's like, (laughs) I mean, do you feel that way? And it's like, sometimes it's like, I just need to say, okay, well, this is where my mind's at right now. This is where my heart's at. And sometimes I'll just say like, okay, I'm going to try and come back to prayer later today, but I'm just going to record this podcast episode right now. And I'm not going to beat myself up that this is where, like, this is where my mind's at right now. And this is where, and try, you know, to the best of my ability, invite God into the recording of the podcast too. And then it's like, well, that's what it's supposed to be anyway. So it's almost like golfing. You're, you know, you don't want to focus too much on where you're not supposed to hit the ball because then you'll just not hit the ball that way. Right. And sometimes with regard to distraction, I find myself thinking so much, so hard about not being distracted that I end up very distracted, you know? Yeah. And I think that goes back to the sense of like being aware of what, how you're talking and how you're relating to yourself, right? The question of shame. Is it one of kindness and openness? Like, Hey, today I'm just too, too much, right? What I need mm. is just space and just be okay with whatever. Or it's like, hey, I need a healthy shame may mean, you know, you need to do this for yourself, you know? 
I think what we're talking about here as well, especially once you go from your morning into being with other people, like you are someone that I have always experienced as such a, a good listener and you're someone that is clearly practiced being a good listener. Um, are there principles or things you wish everyone knew about listening? Hmm. Because I, I often think like to lead is to listen in so many ways. And at the same time, it's something that we don't often teach or think about as much as we think about talking. So yeah, are there things that you've learned that you just wish other people knew? Yeah. I think the more I try to listen, the, wor- the more I effort at it, the worse listener I become. Is that weird? But like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think if I'm like, got to listen, got to listen, listen really hard, I'll like forget things. And I'm like, so just trusting myself that I'm going to hear what I need to hear is part of that. And being okay with if I miss things, ask for clarity. You know, I think one of the most, I think, so listening is really a posture, um, Mm -hmm. one of curiosity and curiosity is like, when you say the word frustrated, Alex, I, I'm like, what does that mean to you? Cause for me, frustrated means attacking myself really angry, but for you frustrated mean may mean something else like fear, you know, Mm. loneliness, you know? So like just being curious about what somebody means by what they say, and asking for clarity and continuing curiosity, I think is huge. So probably the most important thing is curiosity in it. And it's something that you genuinely need to care, listening not to get them somewhere, but listening to be with where they are and how they see things. And so in some ways, you're like starting with the posture of, I'm assuming I don't understand what you're actually saying. Oh my goodness. Yes. That's the best way to say it. I've learned that the hard way. What do you mean by that? That's oh, interesting. I just would assume something, you know, you know, somebody says something about how they experienced their Thanksgiving, you know, and I assume that they had a good one, you know, cause they said it was okay. But, and then it was like, Oh wait, no, there's more to it. You know? Um, I think words, like what somebody means by a certain word, you know, I just, I realize how many assumptions I make a lot. Um, and I miss people when I assume what they what they mean by something. I also feel like you, at least for me, have done a good job of encouraging me to to listen to both the words that I'm saying, but also where I where I'm at, and that and that's something that I've noticed um, in the times that I've met with you that I've just often thought, and I've actually applied it. I'm like, man, this is so applicable to leadership because in some ways, like you're not listening to my words or maybe you are listening to my words and pace, but sometimes you'll just listen to like kind of my non-verbals. And sometimes you'll say like, take a deep breath, like just figure out where you're at right now. And you'll like, you will realize that I'm not listening to myself and say, take a moment to do this. And I've literally taken that to, to meetings and just like, there's sometimes where I'll be in a meeting and I can sense like people are rushing into this. They are in this frantic and frazzled and disorganized state. And now we're going to make big decisions about the next three years of our business. Like probably not a great idea. And so we'll just say like, okay, everyone take three minutes, like write down a couple of your thoughts, take some deep breaths. And it's crazy how just like, I, I think maybe it's a form of listening, just like paying attention, like where, how are people acting right now? And is it optimal for what they want and what we want out of this time together? Yeah, that's right. You know, and something you said made me think of this too. If I'm lost with somebody and what they're saying, or I feel confused or overwhelmed or frustrated, they probably do too. They may not be saying it or may not feel safe enough to say it. But if I'm noticing it inside of me, it's probably because that's what's happening with them. You know, there's this limbic resonance that's happening between us. That's like, oh, if this is happening over here, it's probably over there. And so being paying attention to all that. And man, it's, it's pretty wild how all this is interconnected because the, the shame piece to this too is it's like, okay, well, if I'm not allowed to be lost and I'm, I worry and fear that you could also be lost and that wouldn't be good, then I can't name it. So it means we're going to like cooperate together in agreeing to not like to pretend that we're not lost. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is awful. We call that colluding with people. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. Just letting them do that so that they, yeah. Cause I can't do that for myself. Yeah. So colluding is like the idea of like, we are going to uh, both create an imaginary world that we've agreed to live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are full on corporations that are engaging in collusion, right? 
Like, and, and I think it's because of what we're talking about. It's because like, we can't, uh, we can't afford to deal in reality. And so it sounds like one of the things that a leader can commit to doing is like, we're just going to operate in truth starting today, regardless of how hard that it is. That's right. Yeah. That's, that is the hardest part of being a leader. It's the cost of leadership. You know, you have to talk about the things that make you uncomfortable. So one more thing on the topic of presence. I, I mean, you're wearing multiple hats and you kind of already mentioned this. You're, you're wearing the hat of therapist, but you're a therapist that is also now leading other therapists. You're simultaneously managing the administration of therapy ongoing. And then uh, you're a husband, you're a dad, uh, and you're a community member, all, all these different hats yeah. that you're wearing. Can you speak to like, how do you maintain presence when you change hats? Because it feels to me like transition times are the times whenever it's hardest to just completely lose yourself. So what have you learned about that? Mm-hmm. I learned that exactly what you just said is true. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We're on the same page there then. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. It is hard to do, but it's the same work, right? Like I still have to be grounded in me. I still have to be present and connected to that and be responsible for myself. So Mm -hmm. wherever I'm doing that, whether that's with my children or with my clients or whether it's with my friends, like, you know, my community, like still got to do that. Um, I think where it's easier to do it, if I'm honest, is in the, is in the work that I have to do with my clients. It's harder to do it in the other places where, where I don't, I'm not having to be as on, you know, whether this doesn't go as well, you know, it's going to be okay. So, I mean, it's challenging. So, I mean, I'm thinking of a story, I'm trying to realize if it would be helpful to this. How do you stay motivated to do it with your kids and your wife? Yeah. Because uh, it's, I mean, because there's like, there's compensation to you being motivated uh, with your work. There's definitely benefits and consequences to not doing it at home. But I, I feel like a lot of times those are a lot more lagging and people don't feel those consequences or benefits for a much longer time than the monthly payment or whatever. And so that's yeah. why it can be neglected. So how do you stay motivated yeah. to do it well, at home? I set boundaries up for myself. So I, I have somebody I meet with every week. Who This is a friend. He's not a therapist. He's, I meet with him every Thursday. We talk on the phone. He used to be here in Nashville. He moved. And he knows the hard questions to ask me. And so there's structure that, that, you know, keeps me when I might go a week of just totally just losing connection and being a jerk and being anxious and just not being healthy. Like there's a day every week that somebody's going to check in with me that I've set that up for myself, you know, so I have to work on that. So there's a sense in boundaries and accountability that you have to make for yourself, but, you know, to do it, to, to motivate it really, I mean, fr- truthfully, it's about, for me, it's about love. Like mm-hmm. I love my girls. I love my wife so much that when I see the consequences of how I hurt them and when I'm not present, I hate it. So I, I want to work on that because I care mm-hmm. about them. So I think love is enough for me in that way. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good, good answer. But uh, I mean, even though reconnecting to the fact that you've, love them. I've been thinking a lot about lately. It's like motivation. The front, I I just, I just stumbled across this. I was like, how have I missed this for so long? Like the front of the word motivation is motive. Like, and Mm -hmm. if I'm lacking motivation, it's probably because I've lost touch with the motive. And it's like, I feel like you just answered that question. It's like, oh, my motive is I love them. So I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, But, but it sounds like it's not always like, contingent on you feeling love at a given time for you to be able to show up and be present. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I don't have to feel it. I mean, sometimes when I don't feel it, that's when I need somebody to check in with me. You know, I need to be aware of it. I I ask myself the question a lot. What do I want? You know, which is about Mm. motivation and and desire. This weekend I was, I had a lot going on. I took on some extra responsibility and um, I was, you know, aware of how the weekend was going to go because I, basically I was preaching on Sunday. I don't usually preach and mm-hmm. I was taking on extra work and, and I was like, okay, so I could spend all this time on Sunday efforting and working and preparing. And I was like, I'm, and I imagine myself getting to the end of my Sunday night and even Monday morning going, how do I feel about myself at the end of this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh, I'll feel lots of shame if I, if I treat my weekend like this. I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to feel that guilt. So like, what do I want? I want to be, 
I want to be able to be grateful and thankful for how I showed up this week weekend with my family. So I'm going to like, so I thought about where I wanted to be, the motivation of where I wanted to be and how I wanted to feel at the end. And then I said that, and then I was like, okay, so that means I am going to give myself permission to watch some of the Titans game. And I'm going to play basketball with the girls on Saturday and go to their game. And I'm going to do this and this. And that's that at the end of that, I'm going to be uncomfortable with how unprepared I'm going to feel, but that's worth it for how I want to feel unprepared when I feel I'm preaching, right? Like that's, that's what I want to be okay with on Sunday night when I come home, you know? Yeah. It's almost like you're, you're pre-deciding, you're going to have to make compromises regardless. You're pre-deciding the compromises you're going to make and you're deciding them intentionally instead of just like allowing whatever screams the loudest to decide for you. That's it. Reacting versus responding. Which is interesting because it's like, we're all doing that. And so often like, well, the business is in front of me right now. I'm not going to compromise that. And because we didn't pre-decide and put boundaries in place of like, I'm going home at 5 p.m. or I'm putting my phone away. It's like we can conjure up all the compromises we're making with regard to work really easily. And it's harder to imagine because I think it's more ethereal and ambiguous, the compromises that you're making whenever you neglect other priorities that aren't the business sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you mentioned this with regard to yourself. It was one of the things that... I really wanted to talk to you about, I, I mean, I feel like so much of what you've done for me and, and just your role in general is helping people grow. And uh, one of the things that I've picked up on that you practice that has helped me grow and transform is the two questions that you ask me, I mean, just about every time we meet is what do you want and what would that give you? And so I have just been tying, I'm like, I get to ask the question now, Dad Covenant. Like, what, what is the philosophy or like what, what principally is behind those two questions? Because I feel like there's a lot wrapped into that. And then I, I'd love to walk into maybe practically how that could be useful for leaders as well. So where that came from me is I was doing some training um, around trauma, particularly developmental trauma, which Mm -hmm. is developmental trauma or complex trauma comes out of childhood. So if somebody, most all of us have some form of it to a degree where we, it wasn't okay to live out of our hearts. We had to kind of close up and hide in order to, to be accepted or in order to make mom and dad happy. Right. It's just a general developmental trauma. And so the practice of that in that training, they would say, the first question you want to ask is being curious about what they want for themselves. And when you do that, you're inviting somebody to connect to their heart because desire is the seat of our hearts. Like what we come out of, it's how we make our decisions, you know? And most of the time when I ask people that question, they tell me the things they want to do. Hmm. And I think those are helpful, but honestly, what I want if you could do that, right. If you were doing those things, what would be on the side of it for you, right? What, what do you want to experience? And if you kind of, if I invite somebody into what they want for themselves, we're really getting into what drives them and they'll make their decisions out of what drives them. I don't have to help them have all these structures to, to make good decisions. I just need to know what drives them. And if that, we can get clear about that, then they can, they don't, they can make those decisions, right? And what's keeping them from it. So it's really about connecting to the heart because that's where we make all of our decisions. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, just so you know, I've, I've totally stolen this tactic and like we've applied it to a business, a business context. And it's hey. so interesting. Like I've applied it to myself for our business, but we've applied it to business leaders that we work with. And it can be so easy to say, okay, well, what do you want? Well, I want a business that is organized and structured and systematized and, um, and that has, everyone has their role and they know, they know where they fit in into the organization. And it's like almost immediately as, uh, I'm saying that, or as someone else is saying that it's like, you can start to see disintegration from like, okay, well, there's certain behaviors that I'm currently acting out in my business that don't align with that supposed desire. And then like, you, you start to feel that gap and you're like, I got to figure out a way to close this gap. And, yeah. and it's crazy how like people start to solve that for themselves. The minute you get them to voice that. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's why, why we do it is like, I don't have to go tell them what they want. They know what they want. And now I have something to invite them to look at, you know, it's all, it's a sense of healthy challenge, right? I'm not just telling them, okay, okay here's how you get, it's like, 
you want this, how is that behavior, how is that action working towards what you want? And you'll, they'll, they will see for themselves without me having to over-function for them, you know, to see it, they'll see what they need and what's missing. And if I'm just, my job is just be curious and make space and invite them to look at it and give them feedback, tell them what I see, you know, how's that yeah. working what you want? Man, that's so helpful for, for I, I would imagine that could be really helpful for struggling team members because yeah. you could sit down with an underperforming team member and be like, hey, like we're red in a lot of these areas right now. We red, yellow, green, right? Like, what do you want for these areas? Because if you want to be red, then that's probably just a good sign that this isn't the right place for you to work, right? But like, yeah. what do you want? And I just have this general belief that most people don't want to be underperforming non-culture fits in an organization. Like if we could get them to talk about it, they'd probably say like, well, I would want to be good or at least decent at my job and I'd want to fit in with the culture. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about how we could get there. And, <laughs> and then it's less uh, to use the, the visual you gave. It's less the leader going top down saying, here's what you need to do to get where you need to go. It's like we can collaborate together to get to where you need to go. Yeah. And a leader's job is say, here's where we are going as a business. This is what we want together. Do you want to do you want that, too? Right. And now we have joint accountability. And so it doesn't mean you don't have leadership. It just means this person invites you to be a part of that and helps you hold accountable to that to that same vision. What, what is the piece of what would that give you in that line of questioning? So what do you want? And then why the follow-up question of what would that give you? This is where I'm, I'm learning. So this may, if this feels a little bit jumbled, that that's because I'm still putting it together. And what but, is it? A, is it a specific modality that teaches this or what is it that you're learning about in this? Yeah, it's modality neuro affective relational model. It's called oh, NARM. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Norm. <laughs> Norm. Um, they have a model you can use for people just wanting to grow. It's, you don't have to be a therapist to do it. My friend that introduced me to it was like telling me about it. I was like, that's how I want to do therapy. And no one's ever made a system out of it. So it just felt like it made sense to me when I heard it. I was like, that's it. And honestly, I mean, to bring Jesus back into it, I think that's the way he would do. He would meet with people. He would ask mm. him, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? You know? Like, where, why are you here? Like he invited them to talk about what they wanted and to expose what, where their hearts were and then invited them to what was life-giving. Wow. You know? And that, so. Uh, golly, that gives me chills. Like you're awesome. saying, I mean, the number of questions he asked where it was like, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. What do you, what, <laughs> he's not, he's not losing his 50 unless he, yeah, he's just staying present and inviting people to, to show up. Yeah, uh, and if anyone could lose their 50, like he's the guy. Like he's the guy that could be like, I don't care what you want, I'm healing you. Like that, but it's like you have to want it for me to do it for you and you have to convince yourself that you want it. And so going back to the word that you already said, it's like he's allowing other people freedom of agency. He's not just going to impose his will on them. Like it's a cooperative thing. Golly, we could spend an entire hour on that topic. I love that. It makes me just love Jesus so much more. So your question back to like, why would you say what it is? Because what would that give you? Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The part of that, that, that I'm still piecing together, it is the way they talk about it in arm is you don't want it. You want to invite people to name, they call it a feeling state, which is a sense of who they are, how they feel about themselves, not dependent on their circumstances or environment. Right. So if I'm always dependent on my performance or my job going well on good therapy sessions on, you know, all the things, then I'm going to be exhausted. I'll never have what I want. But if what I want is a feeling state, it's a sense in the word, there's a big, almost philosophical word, intersubjectivity, the way I'm relating to the subject, the way I'm relating to my life, I can show up and relate to my life, my life and my circumstances. And I have a power on how I do that. So for example, COVID, right? COVID was a period where many of us felt helpless, right? And victims, but inviting somebody to look at how do you want to relate to COVID out of fear or out of a sense of, I can choose how I want to relate to this today, you know? And mm -hmm. so I'm inviting people to say, okay, what do you want for yourself? I want more uh, this or that. It's like, okay, what would that give you? Well, I'd feel more 
you know, safe or I feel more confident or I feel more accepted. It's like, okay, what's keeping you from that? Well, it's my circumstances. Is it? Or is it how you're thinking about them? How you're relating to them? You know, how you're showing up with them? What are you telling yourself all the time about this thing? Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. And I've experienced it, right? Like it's, it's, uh, I, I really like it because I feel like it engages, at least my experience of it is I feel engaged both emotionally and logically in it. It's like, okay, well, what would that give you? A lot of times my answer is confidence, peace, clarity, okay. And and then it's like, I can start to draw some mental lines around like, okay, well, I don't need everything about my business to change for me to feel confident. I can start being confident and what would it look like to be confident? And in doing so, like I can operate within the circumstances that are real right now. And it's like, you start to, you start to bring all of who you are to that and say like, I I don't need to change everything out there for this to be true. That's right. Yeah. So with that and, and the thought process of helping people grow, I'd be curious to know, are there especially just as kind of like a trend thing or a a trend line that it would be wise for people to be aware of. Like, are there common challenges that you often see show up that keep people from growing or moving forward? And I know that that's kind of like, you see a lot of different people, but are, do you see some through lines or trends that you're like, man, this keeps showing up as a blocker, as a challenge, as something that gets in the way? Yeah. We've used this phrase already, but the probably the biggest one is a, is a sense of, a lack of agency. I hear it a lot when somebody's like, yeah, I have to do this. Or I tell myself I have to do this. And I hear this in myself a lot, the more I notice it. And the, the way to think about it is it's like, okay, what I want for myself, you know, all the things that I have to do, I pressure myself, efforting, trying to make it better, do it all to me. And that, that gets in the way of me just being present with where I'm at and what I want. So agency, shame, telling myself I have to be more than I am, you know, and think of thinking I'm more powerful than I really am. Like, I think that's, that's probably been the biggest one for me is like, if I could do this more than all these people in my life would get better, this, this thing would change. I could, I could have what I wanted, but it's like, I'm not that, I'm not that powerful. So believing I can do more than I am able to, you know, is a one of the biggest boundaries. I think it's a related question. One of the things that I just think is so cool about your role is like you get a front row seat to people's breakthroughs as well. And like just even in our like relationship, it's like I've known you for over two years now. Like you've seen me leave my job, start a business, find a place to live. Like there's change relationally and communally with the people that I, I hang out with and stuff like that. And it's like so much of that, like, it's like, I got to work with you on those things. And, and I just mm-hmm. think to myself, it's like, man, Will has a front row seat to that happening in so many people's lives. Like, that's so awesome. Is there common things that stand out when you look at like, man, when people experience breakthrough, these things are happening, or like, these are the ingredients, or this is always in existence when I've seen people really transform and grow and move forward. What stands out there? Mm. I have a word, but I'm like, yeah, it's going to feel cliche. And I, and I also want a story with it just to make it make more sense. But the word that I would say is surrender. Mm. There's a sense of acceptance that comes with leaning into my sense of like, okay, yeah, this person in my life that I love, I can't change them. Mm. That's hard. And I'm okay if I feel that. You know, I'm not going to, that's not going to destroy me if I sit with the pain of that. And I'm willing to lean into that uncomfortableness and realize I can, I'm going to be okay on the other side of it. I'm not sure there's more, more powerful of a, or more true of a theme than that. What, what a a paradox too, that it's like the, the greatest victory comes on the side of surrender. Like what? Like, (laughs) like, let's go back to Jesus. What did he say? Like he's willing to lose his life. We'll find his life. Just, you know, Blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom. I mean, it's just like, it keeps feeling true. And you're right. I do get a front row seat to it and it, and it helps me believe it. 
more. Oh, I can imagine. But the, the other thing that I was thinking about, it, it's like, man, yeah, what a gift to have a front receipt to that and see other people walk that out. But it's also like, you can see all the evidence in the world that it's true. And it will never be enough evidence to convince you that you should do it on your own. Like that is always going to require faith. Because it's like, just because it proved true for them doesn't mean it's true for me. The only way I'm going to find out if it applies to me is if I take that step. And because otherwise, it's not surrender. Oh gosh, man, uh, this is so fun. I I just really enjoyed this because I mean, you and I don't always get to talk like this. And so I had so many questions and so many things that I was just so interested in. And I just really appreciate you for sharing your time and investing in this way. Man, I'm so stoked for you and your growing practice. I'm also really stoked because I've, I've had other friends of mine see you before. And it's always typically the case that it's like, oh, man, Will Will is full. Like he's got so many people that are seeing him. And it's like now you've got other people that are kind of practicing with your values and, and uh, your way of counseling people. And so can you point to people to like how they can um, check out what you do and, and the business that you're building and all of that? Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. So what was just Will Mooney counseling is now made and matter counseling, which is we're helping uh, people be who they're made to be so that they can give where they're made to give. And so yeah, made and matter counseling.com is our new site that just went live the other day and working on trying to merge that from my current site. And yeah, I'd love to support anybody who wants help with either, you know, counseling, working through some things or, training. I, I enjoy, I have a lot of experience teaching. I enjoy that as well. And yeah, however I could, or help you find more support. Like if you want somebody where you are, I love helping find people, you know, consultants or counselors, wherever they're at. So yeah. Find me there. Very cool, man. Well, so, so grateful to you. So excited for you and, and your growing business. And um, honestly, just personally thankful to you uh, for being someone that is so committed to being excellent at their craft because uh, I benefit from it and I know other people do as well. So thanks, Will. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for letting me join you in this. This is fun for me too. Well, I'm so grateful uh, to Will for being someone that is really dedicated to being a master of his craft. And I get to experience the benefit of that. And through me, uh, hopefully our podcast listeners, our customers, and everyone that's in the Path for Growth community gets to benefit. And I hope you take that as encouragement to also prioritize your personal health and growth. This is something that can be so easy to deprioritize. And in reality, I think it's one of the best things that you could do to make sure that you're operating from a posture of overflow so that you can effectively serve others and glorify God. And I want to let you know that we're putting all the links that Will mentioned at the end of that conversation in the show notes of this episode. Real quick, before we go, I want to let you know that if you liked this content, there's also written content that we send out every single week in an email called Worth It Wednesday. The reason why we send it in an email called Worth It Wednesday is because I think most email isn't worth it, right? It's not worth your time, not worth your energy. So every single week, if we're going to send an email, it better be worth it. We send you a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can read it in under three minutes. And it's so cool to see over a thousand of you are now part of that Worth It Wednesday community. And even cooler than that, it's cool to see the ways that you're taking those principles and taking those practices and applying them to where you are so that others will be served. If you want to sign up for the Worth It Wednesday email, you can do that in the show notes of this episode or at pathforroad.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.